Welcome to EdSpark 21, the podcast from Battelle for Kids, dedicated to capturing conversations and spreading the word to accelerate the realization of 21st century deeper learning for every student. This episode, Battelle for Kids CEO, Dr. Karen Garza, talks with Michael McCormick, National Chair of the Battelle for Kids Ed Leader 21 Network and Superintendent at Val Verde Unified School District in Paris, California. At Battelle for Kids, many of the school systems with which we are currently working are at the early stages of developing their portrait of a graduate and bringing it to life throughout their system. Today, however, we have the privilege of talking with Mike McCormick of Alverde Unified School District, who is an early adopter of the portrait of a graduate and is leading their efforts to systematically turn their portrait into practice across their Southern California district. Here's our conversation. Well, Mike, uh, this morning we had you here talking with superintendents in Ohio about the work that you've been leading in your district. And you, uh, we've known each other for some time because uh, you've been involved in this work leading 21st century learning design and portrait of a graduate for some time. So tell us a little bit about why you think that work is so important, why you were compelled to take your entire school community through that process and then kind of what outcomes have you seen as a result that excites you? Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, you know, it's interesting. We were we were doing a lot of different things and in terms of initiatives. So when I think about this, like six years ago, we were trying to go one to one with technology. We were building our infrastructure there. Uh, there was talk about, you know, obviously the Common Core standards were, were coming out. Uh, next generation science standards were coming out. We were really looking at pedagogy. We were looking at the assessments because the entire landscape was changing. We were starting to pay attention a little bit more to social emotional learning Mm -hmm. and positive behavior intervention support systems. We were looking at our college going rates. And there was nothing that was really unifying all of those disparate uh, kind of uh, initiatives that were out there. But this portrait of a graduate really struck me. I thought, wow, this, this is really something that can be so unifying. And it gives people a mental model to see how all of these different initiatives fit together underneath, you know, what we like to call today the North Star. And so mm-hmm. it was something that really gave people a mental picture that could help see how you know, what we were trying to accomplish as a system. So I think that's that's kind of the first part of it. And then the second part is what we noticed when we kind of focused on some bigger themes uh, around instructional strategy, curriculum design, measurement, um, and had those initiatives guided by the portrait of a graduate, it was almost a letting go of some of that lockstep instruction that was required during the No Child Left Behind error. And so um, what we've actually seen is tremendous growth in our graduation uh, numbers, our graduation rates, with some of our student groups really outperforming others. And I'm saying that in a positive way. For example, our number one student group for graduation right now is our African-American student group. And we've also seen tremendous increases in our college-going rates, almost 30% um, since 2010 forward. 
So it's been fantastic. Increases in test scores, obviously. We've got a pretty tight accountability system in the state of California. And so it's it's almost like we're living in two worlds, right? Mm-hmm. We have to we have to pay attention to those accountability pieces because we want to maintain our local control. But at the same time, I think the true promise for our students and their future is really in the portrait of a graduate. Well, it's really um, affirming to see that you all have been so dedicated and committed to your portrait of a graduate over over time. You have a high uh, degree of poverty in your district, a very diverse student population, uh, and your commitment to that, you're still seeing the outcomes that are measured by external accountability systems still go up. And I think people oftentimes are fearful of, a, you know, saying we need to do something different for our kids. Uh, the kind of approach to learning has kind of lowered the standards our kids are not engaged in high-level and exciting kinds of learning experiences, um, and they're fearful of changing for what might happen on accountability. And so I know I've seen it in my own districts and other places across the country that when you increase the engagement of, uh, around learning, the learning experiences are very rigorous and exciting, uh, they're aligned to your portrait of a graduate standards, those outcomes kind of take care of themselves. Would you agree with that? Sounds would, like that's ex- would, what you've experienced yeah, in your I history. Would, and, and here's the thing. We're excited, but we're not yet satisfied. Mm-hmm. I actually think in the growth curve, we're just getting into the sweet spot of, of true acceleration through these mm-hmm. initiatives with the portrait of a graduate. We're, we, I mean, we, we don't have all the answers, but I was telling the group earlier today, I said, you know, think about this like somebody from Silicon Valley would think about it. Get into motion. Go into beta. Get something to market and then iterate from there. And so I think there was some there was some conversations around, you know, well, do the competencies on the portrait of a graduate have to be perfect on the first run? And I would say, don't get too caught up in that. Yes, you want to get something out that's available. I, I say to people, look, I hope it's good enough to uh, bring some criticism because then I know that I'm on to something. And the other thing that happens in that process of kind of from going from, you know, beta into what you wind up with is as people are in discussions, they have the opportunity to influence. And it could be minor changes in language, but now they own it Mm -hmm. because they've been a part of the process. So I think it's kind of a go slow to go fast. Yes, get something out, get into motion, but then be willing to negotiate some of that language in terms of skills, competencies, and dispositions, you know, on your portrait, because that allows for a broader audience to have influenced the final product. That unifying kind of approach, as you described it earlier, Um, because I do find that very, very true, that the, this kind of process, some of the power of it is having the broader community having a meaningful say in the direction of the district. Um, And it also, I believe, provides a why. So you talked about earlier, uh, in a lot of districts, you know, you tend to do this, right? And that is, you're you're trying to make a difference for kids, and and everyone's heart's in the right place, and you're doing lots of different things, and it seems like disparate things. But the portrait of a graduate answers the why. So I found in my districts and some other districts that once you have a portrait of a graduate, you can do lots of other things, but that that's the reason you're doing it, right? And that helps people really understand and connect to it. 
Yeah, I would say it, it is that thing that unifies all of this work. Well, Mike, as I mentioned earlier, and, you know, I'm, I'm well aware that you have a very diverse student population, and about 85% of your students um, qualify for free and reduced lunch, which is our, our poverty standard in educational systems in the, in the country. Yet this is your standard for every child in your system. There's no differentiation between this is this is for some kids, but not for other kids. And oftentimes, um, you and I both have experienced. I know uh, when we talk about and really champion this work, there will periodically we'll hear people say, "Well, I, we can't do that because our kids are in poverty. Um, they they lack basic skills. They have skill deficits. Uh, we've got to focus on drill and kill and you know get to the basics." What would be your your response to that, given that that's not at all the way you think about this, despite and despite the fact that you're a fairly large district with high poverty? Our students can do great things. Um, it was described to me like this one time. Equality is everybody gets a new pair of shoes. Equity is everybody gets a new pair of shoes in their size. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, we're taking some action to level the playing field and make sure everybody has equal access and opportunity. But I think then the, the local context where it comes down to the teachers and the support staff is how are they delivering those experiences in a way that our students are going to be able to access those, those experiences. And so it really comes back to this, this overwhelming responsibility Mm -hmm. that I feel to make sure that our students can leave our system and gain entrance to the trade schools, the military, the colleges and universities that they aspire to, and ultimately be successful in whatever career Mm -hmm. they choose and be able to earn a living wage. And so uh, we feel that and take Mm -hmm. it seriously. You know, I, I heard it said once like this, you know, we we try to stop asking kids what they want to be when they grow up, you know, because you get those common answers, doctor, lawyer, police mm-hmm. officer, firefighter. Now I think the narrative should be built around what problem do you want to solve? What keeps you awake at night as a student? Because I think we, we often don't give our students enough credit. And they're living in this world along with us, and they mm-hmm. see whatever is influencing their community in positive or negative ways. I, I know in my area, homelessness is a huge issue. And that's something that's on our kids' minds. And mm-hmm. so, you know, how do we encourage and engage students to think about problem solving? Because I firmly believe it's going to be their generation that will solve some of these intractable challenges that we're facing right now that's kind of seems to be beyond the reach of solving in in my generation. Mm -hmm. That portrait of a graduate with a focus on kind of the general themes of communication, collaboration, creativity, critical thinking. If the students move into their future with those skills and dispositions, it doesn't matter what if their specific job has been created yet or not mm-hmm. ideally those are the strong skills 
And I, I don't even like to call them soft skills because I think there's so much more than that. I mean, some people t- tend to call them soft skills, but it's like, no, those are the real skills that are going to get you a job. Sometimes described as transferable skills, right? Absolutely. Apply, apply in lots of different places. That's right. Yeah. And so even if even if that in future context. job hasn't been created yet, if, if students come with strong skill and disposition in those themes, ideally they're going to be successful. Because so think about it like this. There aren't too many organizations where we can say the future is sitting within mm-hmm. our organization. Our kindergartners that we're serving right now, this year, will be the class of 2032. And so the future sits within our organization, and, and we have a moral obligation to ensure that those students are successful. And don't get me wrong, they still have to learn to read, write, and compute. Of course. You know, absolutely. Right. So those those so those those primary content skills they they still need to grapple with and, and get proficient in. But I think it's these other skills and dispositions that will guarantee their future. With the combination of the content and the building of skills, transferable skills that we just talked about that are often reflected in a portrait of a graduate, I find that when those two come together it does create examples and opportunities that are just these rich learning experiences. Sometimes when content is taught in isolation, it's purely the content. And then when we provide students opportunity to also develop these other skills like communication, problem solving, we see them creating this, I mean, certainly learning content, but doing these amazing things. Like you just talked about students being interested in problems that are um, in their own community. You know, we, we have many examples, and I know they exist in your own school district, of young people in school districts taking on real problems in their communities and developing meaningful responses to those. They're learning content, but, man, they're learning some other things that are really powerful. Yeah, I think it gives kids a context in which to activate their learning, right? You know, and, and, you know, John Dewey was talking about this 80, 90 years ago. And the school is not separate from life. School is life. Mm-hmm. And we need to honor that. And so how do, you know, it's, it's, what was it, the Committee of 10 in 1897 who decided that we should learn these subjects at these times throughout the day and all the kids are going to move around and, that was great when we were preparing students for factory work. Right. And, you know, and, and that's not the case today. And so how do we provide learning experiences for our students that are more project or problem or passion-based? And ideally, in order to solve the larger problem, they're having to learn the discrete skills along mm-hmm. the way. Really, it doesn't feel much like learning at that point because the discrete skill is not the end goal any longer. The discrete, the discrete skill is now a means to an end to solve the larger problem. And here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I don't do math from 2.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon <laughs> in my adult life. Right? Right. And, and so it's, it's a constant you know, interplay of all the subjects – uh, as we're moving throughout life and the things that we draw upon in terms of content knowledge and theoretical frameworks and, you know, all that stuff. And I think if we put kids into that place, they use it too. And so, 
you know, one of the things that we've been doing over the last several years at one of our high schools is an aquaponics project. We have students where agriculture is a big part of their family life. And so we think about aquaponics, which is, you know, fish, Mm -hmm. and then the waste product from the fish becomes the nutrient for the plants. But if you break that down into kind of the the old subject or content matter, you've got biology, chemistry, physics, engineering, marketing, advertising, website design, coding. It's all wrapped up into this project that gives students many different entry points and places where they can contribute. And I think that's that to me is a beautiful learning environment where we're kind of tricking kids into learning, right? Because they're, they're doing it to accomplish something greater. And it's so exciting. So tell us if we were to walk into classrooms in your school district today, as a result of this vision, kind of your North Star, your portrait graduate, what kinds of learning examples of learning will we see? You know, one of the things that, that we've noticed is that our kids are much more authentically engaged and with an authentic audience. I, I see today that our kids are presenting in community forums. They're doing exhibits. Obviously, they're working with these uh, project-based learning and things like that. And I see a confidence, and it's interesting, we had a board meeting just the other night, and one of the board members was commenting, boy, our kids' communication skills have really improved over the last several years. It's like they're, they're practicing presenting. Mm-hmm. They're understanding the value of clear and concise communication. And our students are also working in teams so much more. And so that, that concept of teamwork, working together for a common goal, Um, So I think those are the kinds of things. And then you'll see also a a tremendous infusion of technology. And then we've actually gotten to a point where we've now gotten what I'm calling modern furniture, which was much more Mm -hmm. flexible in design. So we're really attacking the learning spaces and the structures in which students are conducting their work. And that's been fantastic. uh, So that now all of our elementary classrooms have this modern, flexible furniture. And that was a process. Mm -hmm. The teachers at some points were very uncomfortable with that, you know, asking questions like, well, where do the the kids put their stuff now? Mm -hmm. And what happens if I have that student that needs to be separated from the group a little bit? How do we do that? How do we manage Mm -hmm. that? And so lots of conversations about physical environment in the classroom. I really appreciate that approach, and it seems so timely and kind of logical in some ways, is that when you have a different vision for outcomes for students, and you want that experience to look different, then you also have to look at the design of the learning space. And it sounds like you all have been doing that with not only the furniture, but also the design of schools, um, and making sure that the learning spaces uh, contribute and enhance learning um, in this way. So I think that's pretty powerful. It's been fun. You know, since we went one-to-one and all of our kids have laptops, we had these computer labs that were basically going unused. And so we thought, how can we reimagine these spaces? So now all of our schools have STEAM labs. We gave them a budget and said, principals, get with your teachers and your students and design these new learning spaces. So every space uh, every school has a space like this, and the, the fun thing is 
Well, first of all, I wouldn't have picked the carpet colors <laughs> or the paint uh, because but, there's but some wild colors. C- controlled. We did. You? We let yeah. them do it. And the fun thing is there's some consistent features in all of them. They all have a green screen. They all have Lego walls. They all have 3D printers. And they all have flexible furniture and design. And they all have some uh, some pretty big LED screens that are interactive in them. But they all look and feel a little bit different. And it had to do with the design that they were going mm-hmm. for that made sense for their school based on their interests and their students' interests. And so that was really a fun project, uh, I think, for the schools to engage in and for the students because the students could come back and say, hey, I had a hand in designing this yeah. thing. And wow, what agency is that, you know? Yeah, you mentioned one of them uh, focused theirs around a culinary theme, which I thought made really an excellent idea certainly you could apply um, the culinary um, arts to uh, steam right absolutely absolutely yeah Yeah, there's a lot of science in recipes right Mm -hmm. and then there's all the pieces about farm to table and uh, growing foods organically and studying nutrition and so uh, yeah they they loved it It made sense for them and they've got Mm -hmm. a beautiful outdoor garden space uh, with some little walking trails and things in it that have been just fantastic for the kids. So it's kind of like a timeout zone at the same time <laughs> as it's you know, yeah. contributing to to that kind of culinary arts. So what would you say to a superintendent that says, you know, I'm going to feel uncomfortable doing this work because the accountability system seems not to be aligned to this work. And so I feel like I can't do it because of the existing accountability system. Yeah, I would say don't let that hold you back. Uh, I I did a little work with um, studying Cotter's dual Mm -hmm. systems. And so I think in the early stages of this, and I think we're still at the early phases, you you have to be able to have one foot in one system and one foot in the other system. And I would say don't, don't feel like you have to give up you know, your responsibility to your state accountability systems and the standards and all the things that we have to do. And your board will appreciate that's a reality. that too. It's that's a, reality. a reality, right? Your mm-hmm. board will appreciate that because nobody wants to be taken over by the state. They want to maintain local control. And so you have to pay attention to those those kind of key performance indicators that are built into your state accountability system. But at the same time, if you want to provide a much more engaging opportunity for your students and your teachers, teachers and your principals, man, this is a great way to go. And, and kind of backing up to something I said earlier is if you present problem or project-based learning, students are still learning those discrete skills within the curriculum standards and the power standards or the essential standards, however, uh, whatever language you use in your system. But they're now doing it in a context in which it is a means to the end, I should say. It's not the end in and of itself. And so I think that type of learning experience is so much more valuable and engaging for our students. Um, so it's, it's not that we, we do this work to the exclusion of the more traditional work. It's that we try to make the whole learning experience much more authentic. What is the primary, right? right. Is what is right. the driver, and it no longer becomes the driver. And I'll say to some extent, what I see is it's very freeing to educators and to educational systems when they say, that is important, we're going to pay attention to it, but it's not going to drive our decision-making or our day-to-day work with kids. This is what it's going to be. That will take care of itself. 
and and I found also that when you do that, ultimately you can create enough momentum that eventually the state potentially state policies could change. But I would I would say don't wait. If we wait for the state policies to change, that you know align to this work, we just have so many students that could that um, have been through our system. So to me, there's there's a sense of a sense of urgency around let's do something now. Absolutely. For superintendents in districts right now that are um, thinking about implementing a portrait of a graduate or starting that process with their community and, and are just really wrestling with wanting to do something more for their for their students, how would you uh, advise them to start? Where do they start? How do they begin to think about this work? And how would they how would you advise another superintendent to begin this journey? Well, I think you you seek out the partners that are are doing this type of work. And so whether it's getting into some sort of a professional learning community, certainly engaging with Battelle for Kids. If you're a superintendent, bring your board along first. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's that's an important conversation to have. And I'll say two things that don't necessarily go together. One is I'll say go slow to go fast. Mm-hmm. Make sure you you really roll this out and Understand the why for your local context. Um, and that's going to be different, I think, everywhere. I think, I think there's probably some consistent themes out there in terms of getting kids ready for their future. But how you get to that is dependent on your local context. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to get a narrative that resonates within your community. So I think that's important. And now I'm going to switch gears completely and say, take on a bit of a Silicon Valley attitude, which is get something out uh, in beta version that people can wrestle with, criticize, comment on, and be part of that process. So I, I think it's important to be very open and transparent with the process because ultimately you want something that serves the broader community as your North Star. Mm-hmm. And so I think the more voice that you get involved in, in building that for your community, because I think, of it, I think of the work like this. Not only am I trying to do something really good for my students that I serve in my school district, I'm also trying to do something really good for the broader community at large. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we think about this in terms of economic vitality, uh, the number of students that are going on to college and university and technical and trade school and military. And ideally, those students return uh, in a career that contributes to the economic vitality mm-hmm. of the region. And so I, I think there there's a piece to think about there. And, and don't be afraid to get your community members and your business partners engaged in this work. Because I think the way it becomes really transformative is that it extends beyond the boundaries of the school district and becomes more of a community conversation. Like you've seen, I know, and, and we've seen in other districts, once you engage the community and you have people across sectors with students, educators, parents, business leaders, community leaders, having a conversation, you know, we've been missing that. And there's something really powerful about all those voices coming, you know, together to influence um, this vision uh, for a district. So I would agree with you about that. 
you know, you and I both got to know each other because we were part of a national network. And that network was pretty powerful for me because it really did the opportunity to go and and hear from other superintendents, the way they were approaching the work. So I know both of us would recommend, you know, as you mentioned, a PLC or find find a group of superintendents or others that are working and engaged in this work. You and I both joined Ed Leader 21, and that fundamentally changed the way I think was thinking about the work that I was leading in my own district. There's a level of street cred, I like to call it, that comes with one district learning from another district. Mm-hmm. Somehow when you discover that you're you know, colleagues in arms, all of a sudden the message resonates, I think, a little bit more deeply. And so when you can connect with a district that may be a, a, a neighboring district or even some, some district that's a little further away and you're engaging in this work together, I think there's something to be said for that intimacy, that relationship district to district, job alike to job alike, people working together. So that you're not, it's not so much about your expertise, it's more about your experience. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that, you know, like I, I often tell people, you know, uh, what you'll gain from me is all the mistakes I made. So that I might be able to shorten the runway on your implementation, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that it does accelerate, I think, the way, we, accelerate our, our improvement cycles when we can share and, and learn from each other, no doubt about that. So maybe my final question to you is, is the chair, uh, once upon a time, I was the chair of Ed Leader 21. And, uh, we I have, knew I had big shoes to no, fill. No, 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 no. You're going you're, you're gonna to be great. Um, what are your kind of your hopes for our national, our national network? And as, as the chair, what do you hope that we're able to, to accomplish? You know, I, I so believe in this work. It, it really is a passion. And it's not, it's not necessarily a personal passion. It's become a passion because of the value I think it brings to students and the people that are involved with educating our students. And so I, I would love to see this work continue to expand and spread so that, you know, every school district in the nation has a portrait of a graduate. Um, and I think that's important because there's so many things that are changing, and education is very dynamic. And we, we've tended, at least through my career, we've tended to jump from one thing to the next, looking for that silver bullet. And, you know, if kids aren't doing well, if they've got gaps in their education, we, we give them more of exactly what they already had difficulty with. Right. And so I, I think that the, the portrait of a graduate, it's so unifying by serving as that North Star it helps to unify all the things that we're trying to do. And I think it helps people make sense of where we're trying to get to in education, which is greater student achievement, closing the achievement gap, ensuring that any student who aspires for a post-secondary education has the opportunity to, to chase that dream and accomplish that, that mission. I know in my, in my district, the vast majority of my students will be first-generation college-going students. And I would say that that's a fairly common theme still across the nation, is that there's still plenty of first-generation college students to, to have an impact on. So as kind of the national chair, I would say that that's really what I'd like to see, is that many, many more districts go through this process with the communities that they serve to come up with the skills and dispositions that are important to them around the four C's, because I think it's a tremendous hope for the future of our students. 
I, I agree. I think it's some of the most important work that's occurring across the nation. And that's why our organization, Patel for Kids, is absolutely dedicated to accelerating and advancing this work so that more and more students can benefit from it and, and are well prepared to thrive in this rapidly changing world. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate this time together with you, but also appreciate your leadership in our national network and, and all that you do are doing for Valverde schools is just amazing. So I commend you for that as well. It's been an honor to be here and speak with you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. At Patel for Kids, we believe that school districts everywhere benefit when we can shine a spotlight on school systems such as Valverde Unified School District. I'd like to thank Superintendent Mike McCormick for allowing us to do just that today. Also would like to thank Mike for his influential and important role as the chair of our National Ed Leader 21 Network. The EdSpark 21 podcast is a production of Battelle for Kids. Battelle for Kids collaborates with school systems and communities to realize the power and promise of 21st century learning for every student. Go to bfk.org to learn more. The music heard in this podcast is On Fire by Sasha Ende, copyright 2019 and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All other content in this episode of EdSpark 21 is the intellectual property of Battelle for Kids. Other podcasts and blog posts from Battelle for Kids can be found at bfk.org. <laughs>